0: Heavenly Father, we do ask for your presence among us this morning, that you may draw near to us and bless us as we look into your word together and try to understand more about what you would have us to do as your people. Lord, we thank you for calling us out of darkness into your wonderful kingdom of light. We thank you for Jesus' work on the cross, that we can gather in your name this morning and know that we are your children. But Lord, we ask your servants, and we do ask that, You would speak to us, for we are listening to you this morning. We pray that you may give us your Holy Spirit in abundance, so that we can comprehend your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week I had problems with one of the companies that we use their services of. And so I had to ring them up. I got this bill, and I wasn't happy with what was on the bill. And so I had to ring them up and complain and try and sort things out. And I had to do that thing that I've never had to do previously when I talk to someone from one of these companies. I have rung up companies in the past and and had altercations with them. I had to say... Can I please speak to your supervisor? Can I please speak to the next person up? Because clearly what I want from you, you are unable or unwilling to do for me. And so I need to speak to your supervisor. I need to speak to someone who has greater authority than you. And the question of authority comes up again and again in our lives. We come up against different authority figures and we know that certain people have authority over other people. Just like when we ring up companies, we know that there is a manager somewhere and above that manager is another manager and whether you ever get to that manager is um, a bit of a miracle. But And of course, above that manager, there's another manager and eventually you get to some sort of CEO. You get to someone who is the top dog, the one with all the authority in the company. And this morning, I want to look at the subject of authority as Ezra has been given authority in this passage that we're looking at in Ezra chapter 7. In Ezra chapter 7 we've been going through it slowly. We've had this letter from King Artaxerxes uh, that we've been looking at. Ezra has been allowed to go back to the promised land with permission from the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes and he's come back with this letter which has uh, shown the great blessing that Artaxerxes is giving to the Israelites through Ezra. If we remember who Ezra is, he's this Jew who has been in exile in Babylon because the Jews were quite badly behaved and God actually sent them to exile in Babylon and then he has brought them back in two waves and the second wave has been Ezra coming during the time of King Artaxerxes and he has come back with great blessing from Artaxerxes which we have seen in previous weeks and this Week I want to look at the last two verses of this letter, and that's verses 25 and 26. And this last thing that Ezra has been given by King Artaxerxes. Ezra, Artaxerxes has given Ezra a lot of stuff. He's given him cash, he's given him tax-free stipends, he's given him so much. Uh, and now he gives Ezra authority. And that's my first main point this morning. A king of kings, that's uh, Artaxerxes, he gave Ezra authority to administer justice. He gave Ezra authority to administer justice. And we read that in verse 25. And he says, And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God. He is to administer justice to the people of Trans Euphrates. He's been given this authority from the king of kings, just like you can't go around exercising authority unless someone has actually given it to you. Uh, It's the case when I call these companies, someone has given that person authority to do certain things. And, of course, their authority has limits. Uh, And here we see Ezra... As a person, and particularly a subject of the kingdom, he has limits on his authority, but his authority can be extended by someone above him. And that someone above him is King Artaxerxes, and King Artaxerxes has said, "Okay, Ezra, you're going back to this land, and I'm not just going to give you lots of stuff to take with you. I'm actually going to give you authority to administer justice. You can actually apply justice in the land of Israel when you get back there. But how is he to apply justice? Applying justice is not necessarily an easy thing to do. How is he supposed to do that? Well, he's supposed to do it by appointing people to administer that justice. He's not to do it all himself. He then has authority to get some workers with him. Verse 25, "...and you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice." He's allowed to have some people help him out, because it sounds a bit scary. You're going back to this large group of people, and you're the one that's in charge. Well, it's nice to have some other people to help you out, and so he's to appoint magistrates and judges to help administer justice there. But who is Ezra allowed to apply justice to? What does it say in the text? And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of trans-Euphrates. So Ezra is going back to this land, this promised land, the land of Israel, and it seems like he's been given the authority to administer justice to everyone when he gets back there, to all the people of trans-Euphrates. Now remember, not everyone living in trans-Euphrates is a Jew. There's a lot of people in the land of Israel that have come in, they were uh, put there by Assyrians, and of course they've had uh, families and other people have migrated to the area. And so not everybody there is following God's laws, and not everyone has the ancestry of a Jew. And that's why... Uh, the previous lot of guys, the previous Israelites who came in the first wave, had such trouble building the temple of God. It was one of the reasons. There were people who were hostile to them in the land. Now, has Ezra been given the one-up on them by being able to come back and administer justice to those people? Well, I don't think that is actually indicated in the text, because it says, All the people of Trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws of your God. I think Artaxerxes is saying, no, you're only going back to administer justice to those who are Jews, ones who know the law of God because the other people in the land, they don't know the laws of God. They don't worship uh, the, the God of the Israelites. And so Ezra has come back and he's got a limited authority. He's got great authority that has been given to him, but it's limited to the Jews that are living in the land of Israel. And so he's, he's got this authority. He's got people that he can appoint to help him out. He's going to apply it to the Jews, what about if the Jews don't know the laws though? They're meant to know the laws, they claim to be Israelites and they claim to worship God, but it's clear by the way that they behave that they don't know the laws. How are you meant to administer justice to people who don't know the law? So what is he given authority to do in verse 25? It says in the last sentence and you are to teach any who don't know them. So Ezra's job is not just simply to administer justice when he sees something doing wrong and done wrong. He's also meant to teach people what the laws are, which is a good thing for any authority to do. It's, it's very important to publish what are the laws of the land, what is wrong and what is right, so that when the judge comes along and says, you know what you're doing is wrong... You aren't taken by surprise. You know that you've been doing the wrong thing and justice can be administered. You've had full disclosure uh, that you have, uh, have broken the law. So Ezra is supposed to teach the people of the laws. But what laws is he supposed to teach? What laws? What does it say in verse 26? Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king... Must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. So he's supposed to teach people the law. What law? Well, it's actually two sets of laws he's meant to teach. It's not just God's law, he's meant to also teach the law of the king. And this is because the laws of the king often overlap with the laws of God as well. He's supposed to say, look, this is what um, the law of God says, do not murder. And also Artaxerxes' law, the Persian law, says do not murder as well. There's an overlap that goes on there. And also... He's meant to be encouraging submission to this authority figure, Artaxerxes, as well. That this is what Persian law are. We're meant to settle here. We're meant to be um, in submission to them. And so this is the Persian laws, and you're meant to abide by them. So Ezra is given instruction here, not just to teach the law of God and administer justice with that, but also the law of the king. And then the question is asked, okay, well, if you're supposed to administer justice and you teach the law and... Uh, What then happens when people don't keep the law? Because it's all nice and well to be able to have authority over people when they're going well. But what happens when they break rank? What happens when someone steps over the law and breaks it? What can you do? Because if you have no power to do anything to them, well, what's the point of being in charge? Because inevitably sinful people will break laws. So what can Ezra do? Can he actually punish anyone? Yes, he's given authority to punish. In verse 26 we see, Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. Ezra is actually given authority to administer penalties to people and severe penalties. He can go to the death penalty. He can send people to death for what they've done in breaking God's law or breaking the laws of the king. So here, Ezra is given great authority. He's given authority over lots of people. He's given authority to teach the people the law. Uh, He's given authority to punish people when they break the law. Sounds like a tough job. And yes, being in a position of authority is tough. I asked to speak to that supervisor at the company that I rang and I was told all our senior managers are in a meeting someone will call you back by the end of the day. Now that day went and another day went and I wrote them a, an email, a friendly one, not so friendly maybe. Um the next day at the end of that day and It may be because, obviously, the people at that company are overworked. Authority figures do have a lot of work on their hands. Or maybe they're a little bit scared of doing the job that they're supposed to do. And Ezra, this is a pretty scary job that he has. He's been given authority in this this land over a bunch of people that haven't had a good track record, if you look at the Israelite history, of obeying God's law and obeying uh, foreign powers that are in charge of them. And he's meant to administer even the death penalty. Uh, It's a pretty scary job that Ezra has to do. But Artaxerxes tells Ezra how he's going to do that job. And it was actually at the beginning of verse 25. He says how, Ezra, you're going to be able to do this. He says in verse 25, And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess... Appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans Euphrates. Artaxerxes has great confidence in Ezra. He says, "Ezra, I know you've got wisdom, and that wisdom you will be able to use as you apply the justice that I'm giving you, the authority that I'm giving you." How do you? What is wisdom? How do you apply wisdom? What? Is, what is it? Wisdom in itself. How is wisdom different from knowledge? Well, knowledge is where you know things. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge that you have. So people can know lots of things, but not be wise. You, you see that the way they live, they may have lots of stuff in their head, but they don't carry it out. And so you need knowledge if you are to be wise. And does Ezra have knowledge? Yes, he does. We've seen that Ezra has knowledge, particularly knowledge of the law. Back in verse 6 of of chapter 7, so go back a few verses earlier, it says, This Ezra, verse 6, came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He was someone who knew God's law. There's actually a tradition that says that Ezra could write out a copy of God's law of the Pentateuch, without looking at any documents. He had memorised the entire Pentateuch. And so he could sit down, start at, in the beginning, and just carry on. Now, of course, that's a bit of a tradition, and you're never sure whether it's true or not, but he was someone who knew God's law. And because he knew God's law, and he'd spent time in Persia knowing the king's law there, the king, uh, King Artaxerxes' law, he then was able to apply that knowledge that he has and actually use the wisdom that he had in doing that. And so Ezra is someone that can administer this authority because of the wisdom that he has from God, and that is uh, the wisdom about God's law and the knowledge of God's law. So this is Ezra. How does Ezra, having authority, have relevance to you today as a Christian, as still a member of God's kingdom, just as Ezra was a member of God's kingdom? How does this have relevance to you today? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. The king of kings has given his church authority. My first main point was a king of kings has given Ezra authority. And indeed, Artaxerxes is a king of kings. He was the king over other people. And it says he is the king of kings back in verse 12. Artaxerxes, king of kings. Uh, But the king of kings, the one who is supreme to all authority has actually given his church authority to administer justice. And we see this in the New Testament. Jesus, the King of Kings, has given us authority to make decisions about what is right and what is wrong. He's given us that authority. Who does the church have authority to judge? Well, we have authority to judge other Christians. Just like Ezra was coming back and he had authority to judge other Jews and wasn't given authority over everyone in the land, we have authority to judge fellow Christians in the church. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, this is Paul speaking, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? We're supposed to judge people inside the church. Now how does the church go about administering that authority? How do we say, who is doing the right thing and who is doing the wrong thing. Well, ultimately, the church membership are the people who sort out who is in the right and who is in the wrong, what is right and what is wrong. And we see that in Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. So you do have an authority to go one-on-one and show some of their fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen when you confront him about a sin... Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Not tell it to the Pope, not tell it to the elders, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Who has ultimate authority in the church? It is the church itself, the membership. Have the authority to say, Yes, this person is doing the wrong thing and they should be punished. And we'll get to punishment in a second. It is the church who has the authority to judge what is right and what is wrong. But what if the church doesn't know the laws of God? Well, we're supposed to be taught the laws of God. You should have people teaching you. And that's where leaders come into play so so well. The elders of the church are meant to be people who are able to teach the law of God. And that is why you come to church. That is why you go to Bible studies. That is why you mix with other Christians. Because I'm sure no one here is, has a tradition about them that they memorize the law of God and can write it out when you sit down and say in the beginning. You can't do that. So you need other people around you to continually be reminding you and encouraging you, these are the laws of God. You're meant to be taught. Just as Ezra got back to a place where people wouldn't know necessarily all the laws of God, he was required to teach them, make sure they know the law. So what laws do Christians teach? Well, they teach those that are contained in the Bible. And there's actually a good way of of grouping the laws of God in the Bible, there's basically three laws that are given in the Bible that are, uh, are good spectrums of how uh, the, you can group the laws of God. Firstly, there's what we call the law of works, or the covenant of works, the law of works. And this is where God gives out this law clearly in Genesis to Adam and Eve. He says, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. He gives them a covenant of works. He says, You are not meant to eat from this tree here. And that still stands today, that God has made this covenant with us. If we keep God's law perfectly, we will not die. It's a covenant of works with mankind. But the sad thing is, is that that law of works... None of us keep. We've all broken the law of works. We have original sin from our parents and then actual sin that we have committed ourselves. We have broken God's law again and again. And so we all die. We all die because we have broken that law of works. Then there's secondly the law of faith. The law of faith. Or this is the covenant of grace that we understand. The law of faith. God has given us a command to repent And believe in his son's death for us. And if we fail to keep that law, that command that God has given us to repent and believe, well, then we are undone as well. We are punished for eternity. Now, in some sense, the law is not something that we are able to do when repentance and faith are gifts from God. So we can't actually do it without God's grace to us. And so that's why we call it the the covenant of grace, that God is gracious in helping us, giving us the ability to repent and believe. And so that is the law that we have to teach those around us. We firstly teach people, yes, we have all broken God's law through the law of works, but now you need to listen to the law of God that you must repent and believe in Jesus Christ because if you do not, you will be eternally damned for the sins that you have committed under the law of works. And then thirdly, there's the law of Christ. The law of Christ is shown in 1 Corinthians 9.21. Paul speaks about it. He says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Paul says, I am under Christ's law. What is Christ's law? Well, it's not a law that you keep so that you can have eternal life. If you want to have eternal life, don't break the law of works. But of course, we've all broken that. If you want to have eternal life, keep the law of faith and repent and believe. But then once you've repented and believed, there's an expectation from God that you will keep the law of Christ. There are many commands for Christians that we're supposed to keep because he has created us for those good works. When you become a Christian, it's not as though you can just say, oh, I repent and believe, and so I can just sin as much as I like. No, Paul says he's under Christ's law, that there's all these moral laws that are given to us in the New Testament. You just have to read the epistles, and you see lots of commandments there, lots of exhortations as to what you should be doing in your families, with your children, uh, with other people in the church. All these commands are given, and they're not to save you, They're not for your salvation that you keep them, but it's because you are saved that you keep those. Because that's why Christ has saved you, is so that you keep those laws. So that is a very uh, sort of broad spectrum as to what is the law of God and what we should be teaching people about God's law. But what if people don't keep God's law? What if people break the commands of Christ? They call themselves Christians. They've repented and believed. They, They affirm that. But then they break some of Christ's laws. What are we to do? Can we punish people for such... Uh, stepping over God's laws, for breaking God's laws, for such sins? Well, yes. The New Testament in a number of places talks about when people have sinned, we are to punish them in a particular way. And uh, 2 Corinthians 2, six says, Paul says, the punishment inflicted on him, that's a man in sexual immorality in the Corinthian church, by the majority is sufficient for him the punishment inflicted on him you have inflicted punishment on him so what sort of punishments can we inflict as a church when someone has done the wrong thing can we do what Ezra was told to do here when someone breaks God's law or the king's law punishment by death banishment confiscation of property or imprisonment is the church does the church have the authority to administer the death penalty Does the church have the authority to confiscate someone's property when they've sinned against God? Well, yes and no. Um, You might be surprised by that answer. But yes and no, we can be involved in seeing those punishments put upon someone who has broken God's laws. We may not be able to personally punish someone with these kinds of things, but By the graciousness of God, many of God's laws overlap with state laws. And God has put the state there in authority and given them enough wisdom so they know that murder and certain crimes, certain sins are actual crimes as well and that they will punish those. And we can make sure that those penalties are administered to people that are sinning in that way within our midst. So, for example, in a case of child abuse, the church leaders and the church itself should, if a member has committed that, report that person, must report that person to the authorities so that person is penalised and make sure they give all the information that they have so that the penalty can be duly administered. This is something that has come up in our own uh, country recently. An example of church leaders possibly not doing that has come up recently recently Uh, In the Sydney Morning Herald, it said uh, a couple of weeks ago, New South Wales Police will give prosecutors evidence that three of the most senior members of the Catholic Church allegedly concealed the sexual assault of young girls in the Hunter Valley in a landmark case that would expose the Church to a new wave of criminal prosecution. One of the three peoples of interest in Strike Force Lentil is the General Secretary of the Australian Catholic Bishops' Conference, Father Brian Lucas, who is alleged to have been aware of the actions of the pedophile priest Dennis McCalladon as far back as 1993, but failed to report him to police. Now, if such allegations are true, it is despicable behaviour. People claiming to be Christians have no place to cover up crimes and serious sins. They must make sure that they report such things and they should be the first people in the community to be reporting that. If you if some if someone in the church finds out that someone else in the church has committed a serious crime, we, they should be calling the police straight away and letting the person and letting the police know about that criminal activity. Now, if you do confess a particular crime to me, that is what I will do. That does not mean I will cease to have any sort of relationship with you. I will be alongside you and encouraging you to repent of your sin and take it before the Lord and, and accept forgiveness through Jesus Christ for your sin, but also be making sure that you receive the penalty for your actions, that you pay the price for your sin. Because we see that again and again in Scripture. Just because Jesus has paid for a sin doesn't mean you don't pay some penalty for it here on earth you still call to. And so many people have been executed in history, um, had the death penalty for murder or something, and they were converted after the murder, but then they went willingly to the hangman's noose, knowing that they had committed a sin and that they needed to be punished and executed for it. And so that is what we can do, first of all, as... Christians, administering the justice that we have, we must report such crimes to the state. And I encourage you, if you ever find out that I'm doing criminal activity, report me to the police as well. You need to do that. It's part of your responsibility as a Christian. But what about sins that the state doesn't consider to be crimes? Things that we consider to be serious but are not crimes, like adultery. In our country... Adultery is not punished by the state. What do we do in such instances? Well, we can do quite a few things in punishing people uh, for doing that uh, in, in the Christian church. We can remove them from certain duties uh, because, of course, they haven't been shown faithful to their wife or um, to the, uh, to those around them. And so why should we expect that they should be held up as faithful people in doing certain duties at church. And of course, we, can all, and we should also, if necessary, exclude them from church membership. Discipline them in that way by banishment. That was one of the, the punishments that Ezra had the ability to inflict was banishment. And we can exclude people from membership. Say, you are not one of us. While you're unrepentant about this particular sin, we're going to punish you by removing you from church membership. And we should be ready to do that if someone is found in our midst to be doing such activity, such sin. Now, this all sounds very scary, to think that God has given us this authority to judge those in the church and to inflict punishment on people. And that's why many churches, I think, choose not to practice church discipline. They just don't want to go down that road. They don't want to administer the authority that God has given them. They're scared to do so. Just like Ezra may have been a bit scared by what was he was told he could do here as well. But that's where we've got to go back to what did Ezra have to help him? He had knowledge of the law and wisdom to apply the law. It's not like you're making up the laws. You have God's law here. You know that... Adultery is a sin because God says it's a sin. It's not a sin because you say it's a sin. You know that theft is a sin because God says it's a sin. You know the law. And so if you're thinking, oh, how am I going to judge other people in the church? Well, it's not really you who judges them. It's the word that judges them. And your knowledge of the word helps you to apply that justice that God expects you to apply in the church. Which means you need to read this thing. If you're going to be able to minister justice as you should in this church, then you must know the law. So that you can actually sort things out when someone has sinned and when someone hasn't sinned. And whether it's something that you just need to let go as you know, an, an issue that is not clearly sin or whether it is an issue that is clearly sin and needs to be punished. So you need this. If you're scared by the sound that you have authority to penalise other Christians, well then that means you should be driving yourself to study God's word so that you can then have wisdom to apply God's word in those situations where it may come up that you have to rebuke someone or even take some other people along to rebuke that person or even ultimately take that person to the church for a public rebuke. If that still scares you, then one other comforting thing that I take comfort in as a church leader is that there is an ultimate judge as well. That we have been given justice in the church to administer, but we are sinful creatures and we can take rest in the fact that there is a judge who will one day sort everything out, and that is Jesus Christ. He is judge over all, and he can administer justice in a way that we cannot. He knows everything. He knows people's motives in their hearts. He knows exactly what they've done. He doesn't need witnesses. He knows. And then he also is able to punish people accordingly. He's able to punish people in a way that exactly fits the crime. Whereas we as sinful creatures will at times over punish or underpunish people. And not hold them accountable. But Jesus knows exactly how to punish them. And so that's a comfort for me as a Christian who, particularly as a Christian leader of the church and has to help in these situations, to know that ultimately Jesus will sort everything out as the just judge, that everybody will appear before him on Judgment Day. So do you recognise your responsibility to judge others as God has ordained, that he has given you authority as a church member, as a Christian, to be involved in rebuking other people, for what they're doing against you, against God? Do you make sure you understand the laws of God and teach others so that when things come up, you know what is right and what is wrong? Do you willingly submit to such judgments from your brethren, from your brothers and sisters? Or do you get offended when people judge you and say that what you're doing is the wrong thing? Do you ask God for much wisdom in your judgments, knowing that he is a God who gives wisdom to those who ask him for it? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, there are so many things in your word that are hard for us to understand and so many things that we really grapple with. And it is amazing that you have given your people, your sinful people, The authority to judge one another. Lord, we pray that you may give Dremoyne Baptist Church membership the wisdom, the knowledge of your word so that they can carry out this task with diligence. And we pray that we may not be afraid to speak to one another when we are caught in sin, and to take the encouragements, to keep out of the way of sinfulness, and we pray that we may have much wisdom to know how best to apply your laws. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.